Please note, this episode contains discussions of sexual assault, rape, and abuse, and includes explicit language, which may be distressing. Listener and viewer discretion advised. Hi, this is Tracy Height-Smith. Welcome to Open Stance, the podcast. In this episode, I am joined by a truly remarkable and prominent Australian leader, Dr. Kathy Kesselman, AM. Kathy is the president and CEO of the Blue Knot Foundation, the National Center of Excellence for Complex Trauma. This organization is driven by their vision to reach the more than one in four adult Australians impacted by complex trauma. Kathy was recognized in 2015 by the Australian government when she was awarded the AM, Member of the Order, for significant service to community health as a supporter and advocate for survivors of child abuse. Kathy speaks with us from a place of intense personal understanding and compassion, as she is a survivor who lost decade of her childhood to sexual abuse. Her story is bravely shared in her memoir, Innocence Revisited, A Tale in Parts. Listeners will hear from Kathy, crucially important information, education, and understanding around what is complex trauma, how these experiences can present in childhood, adulthood, and into old age, and what options are available for people to receive specialized trauma-informed support. But the most resounding message Kathy shares in this episode is a message of hope. As a prominent leader, medical professional, and advocate, Kathy stays focused on the message that recovery and healing from complex trauma is absolutely possible. Thank you, Kathy, for this profound contribution of information, education, and support. It is my privilege and honor to welcome you to Open Stance. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Just for our listeners, are you able to give us a little snapshot of where you're tuning in from today? So I'm uh, I'm in uh, in Sydney. I'm on Gadigal land, and uh, it's uh, it's wonderful country here. And I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for taking your time. Um, so, um, Kathy, maybe just a little to begin. Can we kick off with just a little bit about who you are, and who the Blue Knot foundation is. You are the president of the Blue Knot Foundation, um, which is also referred to as Australia's National Center of Excellence for Complex Trauma. So if you could give us a little understanding of, of your role, um, your a little bit of your journey and, and yeah. who this organization is, please. Yeah. So I'm a mother and a grandmother. I'm also um, an ex-GP, uh, but I'm someone who started dealing with their own childhood trauma, child sexual and emotional abuse um, in my mid forties. And that took me on um, quite the journey. And what it did was to um, motivate me and make me passionate about finding ways for people to heal. I was privileged in that I could find good support. Uh, but even then I know how tough that journey was, not just for me, but you know, for my children and my husband and the, the people around me. So uh, that's what drives me. 
and Blue Knot uh, is an organization that I originally went to when it was called ASCA for support um, as part of my journey. And that was quite some time ago, but it's it's evolved now into, into a national organization that um, uh, seeks to empower recovery for people who've experienced complex trauma. And uh, by complex trauma, we mean people who've experienced um, often repeated, often extreme ongoing experiences of abuse, neglect, violence um, as a child, as a young person or as an adult. And unfortunately, uh, we estimate that that's more than 5 million Australian adults. So that's, uh, you know, that's an incredibly large number. Uh, my role is as president, CEO, and uh, the organisation uh, runs a number of uh, helplines for survivors of childhood trauma, uh, supports people with institutional child sexual abuse going through the redress scheme, uh, supports people with disability who have experiences of violence, neglect, abuse, exploitation. Um, and we also provide a lot of training uh, and supervision to practitioners, workers from lots and lots of sectors around how to respond to people who have trauma experiences, how to support people with complex trauma towards healing and recovery, uh, and how to also manage their own self-care. Because when you're working with people who have experiences of trauma, you're also exposed to trauma stories and trauma material, and that, that can have an impact as well. So it's a big brief. It's a big brief. <laughs> yes. And um, in terms of when you're specifically speaking about complex trauma, what should we understand about that in particular, as opposed to just trauma? Um, so if somebody sees your foundation, how do they know if that's for them or, or what it is? Yeah. So when people think about trauma, um, they think about what we call single incident trauma. So the trauma of a of a flood or a bushfire, and we've seen way too many of those recently, uh, you know, an accident or, or a, you know, a single assault as an adult, um, and never to minimise the impacts of that trauma. But with complex trauma, we, we're talking about, you know, repeated trauma over time, and often as a child. And when a child is repeatedly, repeatedly abused or uh, violated, um, and often by the very people who are meant to care and protect them, that has profound impacts on the way the child develops on the very sense of self, on their um, physical and mental health, their well-being, uh, their ability to complete an education, to learn, to explore the world, um, and, and, and to connect and have, have healthy relationships. Uh, but what we know, not just from the research, and there's a lot of research, but also from people's inspiring stories of healing and recovery is that people can and do recover from childhood trauma. Um, and it's really important to know that, you know, the brain changes. When I was a medical student, you know, I learned that you got a certain number of neurons and they gradually just died. Now, that wasn't really great news, uh, but now we know that they can repair and that new pathways can be laid down and, uh, and that happens in the context of healthy, supportive relationships, just as people have har are harmed in relationships that, that are, are damaging, so people heal in relationships. That is um, such a powerful message to um, spread as much as we can, as far and wide as we can. Uh, so that would bring us to um, some important um, knowledge or education. How can, how can people 
that are aware of their traumas um, or have had first disclosures as an adult, um, how do they find you and who's available to request your services or benefit from the Blue Knot Foundation? Yeah, and it can be very confusing for people who, you know, may wonder why they're struggling in life, may wonder why things apparently seem simple for others, but yet they're, they're really struggling to get to first base. And it can be very hard to make the connections between what happened to you often as a child and, you know, how you're struggling now. So, you know, making those connections can be difficult. And uh, what people find very helpful in the first instance is to, to read about it, to actually do their own uh, discovery to see why it is they feel so different, why they may struggle to connect with people, to feel safe, to trust. Um, and it, it's, it's so important that people understand that being abused as a child or being violated or neglected is, is never a child's fault. Um, but many people do carry a sense of shame and self-blame. So we call this psychoeducation, which is, which is finding information that actually helps you understand what happened to you and how that may have affected your brain, your body, your mind, uh, why you may struggle. But yet, you know, as we talked about before, those possibilities for healing and finding, you know, uh, a life that's full of meaning and connection. Um, and so people will go to the website in the first instance. And so that's bluenot.org.au. And there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of fact sheets that can be downloaded, uh, videos uh, and lots of information. And that, that, that really helps. Uh, but calling our helpline, um, and it's called the Blue Knot um, Helpline, uh, and speaking to a counsellor, a, a trauma-informed counsellor, someone who's experienced in understanding some of the challenges that you know, many survivors experience, and just can be there to, to, to listen, to hear, to believe, and to support someone in the moment, find out what it is they, they need to help them feel safe. Uh, because And acknowledging how courageous it is to make that first phone call, to reach out. Um, and we, we hear from, from people disclosing for the first time in their 60s and 70s, they've never told a soul, but their life has been impacted uh, for a long time because of their trauma experiences. And, you know, just having someone listen, not try and fix it, not try and shut them down, but also help them to learn how to, to you know, to, to settle their often very strong emotions and to normalise what they're feeling, um, to provide them with some, some strategies to, to ground themselves, to soothe themselves, and then really find out, you know, how it is, what it is that they need for, for ongoing support. Um, it, it would be a really nice time right now if you could share um, some specific examples for adults in particular, that when you talk about the impact of say childhood trauma or sexual abuse and how it is um, manifesting in their daily life and they might not even be aware of it on the surface, you could see addictions and some unhealthy behaviors, but underneath is the core. So even things like when you refer in the past to somebody who's a workaholic, you make, how do you put the connection for people together to say, as you, as you eloquently said, um, is manifesting, they don't feel right. And things aren't 
there's something not right. Yeah. What, what are some of those symptoms that might seem really normal or, or not associated yeah. to a trauma that actually are? Yeah, it, it's, a, you know, it, it's about, you know, how you start to make those connections. And, you know, we need to be careful here that, you know, people experience a lot of symptoms and they don't all mean that someone's experienced trauma, mm. but but many people can you know can struggle struggle with um, anxiety or panic attacks or depression and all sorts of mental health impacts. But you know, and often what happens is that they present to particular services who don't have a trauma lens. So treatment will respond to their presenting symptom, to their depression, to their anxiety. But but why? You know, is someone struggling with their mental health? You know, what, you know, what happened to them along life's journey uh, rather than, you know, using a lens of what is wrong with them? And we call this being trauma-informed. You know, people may struggle with their sense of self. They may have a really low self-esteem. Um, often people do blame themselves. Uh, feeling, a, you know, a very overwhelming sense of shame is a very common symptom. Uh, or presentation of people who've experienced uh, childhood trauma. And that shame uh, has unfortunately often been reinforced by our society, which has treated victims, often blamed victims for their own victimhood and treated them with stigma and discrimination. It's starting to change now when we're starting to have conversations such as this one, you know, which, which you know, show that this isn't about a them and us. We all have things that impact us along life's journey. But if you've experienced, um, you know, repeated abuse, for example, you know, just imagine a, a, a child who's sexually abused within the family from the ages of, you know, four to, to 15, you know, how do they make sense of the fact that a family member uh, who is meant to love and care, care for them in some way probably does, is, is also harming them so profoundly. And that affects the way the brain develops, it affects the um, the way you uh, you bond and attach to to other people and sets up a cycle of distrust, lack of safety. Some people, you know, who experience childhood trauma have never felt safe, um, and that's a that's a really um, challenging concept. So it's not about them reclaiming a sense of safety. It's about how do they actually find a safe space within themselves in relationships with other people and in relationships with the world. Uh, there are many, many different presentations. And I mean, the other important um, message, I suppose, is, is thinking about coping strategies. So people who've experienced this sort of trauma often experience a lot of angst and distress and do whatever they can, as we all do, to lower that distress. And that may involve using sub substances um, overusing prescribed medication, um, you know, as you said, workaholism, addictions to a whole range of things. It may also um, cause you to, to withdraw and shut down. Um, so there's a whole range of ways people try and cope. Um, and often the service system traditionally has judged that and judged people's uh, people for their own sort of incapacity to cope, judge people who are addicted to, to alcohol and drugs uh, without understanding why, you know. Sure. You know. And um, just to, to wrap that up a bit, when you mentioned people in their 60s um, are coming, are having their first disclosures for the first time, 
what message are these? Well, let me ask, are these people going to stuff that down? Because at 60, they think, how in the heck am I, how could I even begin this journey? Or um, what, what are you seeing? Are they, um, are people in their sixties coming to you for help? Um, are they receiving help and finding a pathway at that age? Look, everyone's an individual. So there's no generalizations at any age. And often people do, um, you know, not present till their 40s, 50s. It's not unusual to, to not present with issues related to childhood trauma and abuse till older. Some people, you know, calling the helpline for the first time, they may have, you know, just been struggling in their lives for so long and they've got to a point where, you know, they just need help. And, yeah, definitely can. People can find pathways at that age, absolutely, and they can find support and they can start to make sense of, you know, what's gone on for them in the preceding decades um, and start to shift that self-blame and shame um, and find, you know, we, we do quite a lot of work with um, people in correctional centres on the phone. And uh, that's been quite profound work. These are people with disability uh, who, who've had experiences of violence. And, and obviously they've also perpetrated violence because they're, they're inmates. But what we hear from them is that, you know, perhaps they're not evil after all. It's not about what they've done. I mean, obviously, you know, you know they're, they're, they're imprisoned for what they've done, but it's also about what was done to them. You know, and, and the way they've responded to the trauma is obviously not constructive, you know, with violence and, you know, perpetrating violence, but yet it needs to be understood. And for them, it's often profound that they're being treated for the first time in their lives as human beings. Mm. And they're starting to understand that they're not, not perhaps inherently evil, but what was done to them was evil. Mm. And that, you know, and that can really start, you know, quite um, substantial period of rehabilitation. Fascinating. Um, I guess that that leads to the, my next question, which is the big one. What is the demand for your services, Kathy, looking like right now, present day? And I start with that. And then the, the follow-up question is, how are you meeting the demands? Yeah. Look, the demand on our helpline is always way more than we a resource to respond to. So we are funded federally, um, and we're obviously most grateful for that funding. Um, but we have have a helpline that just rings incessantly, and we have, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of how many counsellors. Uh, probably about thirty counsellors across our helplines uh, who share those calls, and they work hard. And it's challenging work. And obviously it's work that's, you know, you're there to, you know, hear and listen to people's trauma and contain them and support them. Um, and so there's a lot of support that we also need to provide to our, to our team to keep them healthy and well. Um, but we, you know, we probably miss um, almost as many calls as we're able to answer. And, and that's just awful because when we think of, you know, people on the other end of the phone, you know, who are unable to get through. And, and what's also critical is that people call at the point at which they, you know, want to speak. And people can leave a number for us to call back if they choose. But often if we do, then 
you know, the moment has, has passed in a way. Um, and so it would be obviously ideal if we were able to, to respond to everyone who, who, needs our, who needs our support and care. Because what our service offers is, is um, it's a different sort of support to, you know, and there's lots of good helplines, you know, who provide all sorts of different, uh, often mental health support and, and different forms of support. But this is about talking to people who specialise in supporting people with, with complex trauma and, and really do understand. And, and we hear, you know, that people call us to the line are just so grateful they've tried other services, they haven't felt understood. Uh, they've, they've often, you know, received multiple diagnoses, not to say that those diagnoses are not true, but what we know is that, and, and that, this is my own experience, um, that once I received good support, the diagnoses I had sort of melted away over time, um, you know, because it was about my underlying trauma. Uh, and that's what needed to be addressed. And, and what would be the second step um, from the first phone call? What happens after that? How does um, the how does the person progress from there? If yeah. it's more than a phone call. Yeah, again, you know, there's a whole range of responses because people are individuals and some people will ring, you know, a number of times. And it's about us trying to find out what it is they need or what would benefit them. And part of that is about supporting them to understand their own internal strengths, um, to look around them, to see who may be there in their support network and to see, um, you know, whether they want referrals to their local areas, um, to practitioners, where they want to go down a counselling route, whether looking for other supports in their life. And many people, uh, as I say, are just uh, are struggling uh, with daily life, whether it's you know, finding a stable home or, or navigating the disability support pension or, you know, so there's all sorts of different needs that, that need to be navigated. And so we try and, you know, connect people up with where they're going to, to, to find the appropriate support. Um, in terms of counselling specifically, what type of demand do you have for people that actually go to the next step and really feel that counselling or some type of treatment, uh, trauma-informed treatment would be the right step for them, in, especially in terms of how can you service that or um, in today's world, mental telehealth and the availability and the affordability and the quality of it. Um, now that we can use modern day technology where people don't actually have to go to the office, what, yeah. what's the demand for that? Can you service it? Or is that um, a component that would be very impactful to add to? What yeah, and, to uh, yeah. And we, we have a referral database that we've established of practitioners who've gone through an application process to establish whether you know, we believe they have the capacity to support people who've, you know, um, experienced complex trauma to support them in a therapeutic way. And so we've got practitioners and agencies on that database, but that database has big holes in it, you know, and particularly regionally and rurally. And so, you know, it would be very, very important to, to, to build the resources. So those referral pathways. Um, and, and obviously, you know, part, part of that is about you know, people deciding, you know, who's a fit for them. So it's, you know, it's, and we like to give people choice. That's a trauma-informed principle, providing choice. 
but having a service system that is able to support the needs. Um, and, you know, that's often said about the mental health space, um, but for people who are presenting not just with mental health issues, but other issues related to complex trauma, it's even more nuanced. And the, the training required, which is why we have such a big training arm of practitioners and the particular skills uh, are really critical. And we, we, we know that this is an area that is improving, but there's a lot more work to be done in terms of building workforce capacity and in terms of um, building services that are there to, to really respond uh, to survivors um, you know, for as long as they, they, they require their services. We know that people dip in and out of counselling over their lifetime, uh, but it's about accessible, affordable, skilled counselling when it is that they're ready to access it and, you know, if they have particular needs at the time and, and they may then, as I say, dip out. But then again, another time, there may be a, a new level of processing that they're looking for or, or, or a different sort of support. And there's lots of different ways, you know, people approach counselling for complex traumas, different, many modalities. Yeah, and I guess from a survivor point of view, and this also comes from my own personal experience where... Um, the first counselor that you go to or uh, meet with is not necessarily the one for you. And such good advice is if, if there's not a fit that first time, keep going, yeah. keep trying. Yeah. But yeah. this is a very complicated piece of advice when getting to any counselor's office in the first place is um, nearly impossible on many levels for most people, whether it's affordability or time or um, a fearfulness. So yeah. uh, in my experience, I had a few and then found a fit. Uh, but but what if it's 10? What if it's 12? And then looking at the ability uh, and knowing that that is potentially going to happen to to people, being able to have those initial counseling sessions on your phone, yeah. in your own home, or yeah. when we are talking about rural and regional areas yeah. where the nearest town is not close at all. So there's all those barriers that um, you can knock down in terms yeah. of using, um, using your phone, for example, so that if you have to meet with 10 counselors for treatment, yeah. not only through the Blue Knot Foundation or your partnerships, are mm -hmm. you are you certain that you're getting the specialized and the trauma-informed counseling? Mm. You also, in the privacy of your own home, yeah. can have more frequency to try and find yeah. a fit that is going to be successful and give you a bit more hope, I would imagine, yeah. in terms of getting to that next level yeah. of your, your recovery. Yeah. And I think one of the you know positive outcomes of COVID, I suppose, if, if there is one, is that we've all learned a lot more about telehealth and and it's it's busted some of the myths about what we thought we couldn't could couldn't do you know over the phone or video conferencing or whatever and we also have web chat you know whatever whatever it is um, and yeah and and that um, you know a lot of people also enjoy the anonymity not enjoy that's the wrong word but the anonymity particularly when there's so much shame initially to reach out you know, um, over the phone can be really quite quite a benefit. And, you know, traditionally telehealth was seen as a poor cousin of, of you know, of face-to-face, -face, but that's certainly uh, changed enormously now. Um, 
and we're finding yeah. that you know people can can feel supported and build a, you know a strong therapeutic relationship over time and we do this in our um in our correctional center work you know that's a, that's sort of sessional work over a period of time and and as is the uh, the work we do in supporting th people through the redress scheme you know they're meeting uh, over often often you know a year or two uh, on a weekly fortnightly basis with counseling uh, over the phone or video conferencing so you know we are using telehealth in 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 circumstances ourselves over a long period of time and we we actually find that you know the therapeutic alliance you know is actually very very strong and powerful uh, sure. even though it's telehealth yeah that's amazing gosh um well i just wrapping it up to i guess it would be really important to address the fact that the demand is so high for these services for a number of reasons. What could you offer, Kathy, in terms of if you're that person that picked up the phone and found the courage to make that first call, uh, phone call, but you were actually, uh, you couldn't get through or turned away or whatever happens and, and not connected, uh, yeah. what, what can we speak to in terms of that for people listening? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the advice is to keep trying. <laughs> Leave a message if you feel comfortable to. Um, and, you know, it, it's very, very difficult because, you know, there are, you know, other good services around, but we also know that we do have the, you know, the the skills and the, the specialisation to support people with this, with this background. So, obviously, we would be very keen to continue to expand the service in, in any way we, we, we can because we, we just know the demand. And, you know, it's, it's very, very important for us to, to ensure that we, you know, have the, you know, the appropriately skilled staff. And, you know, as a result, we used to just um, recruit people from Sydney and New South Wales, but now we've extended it, you know, right up the Eastern Seaboard to, to ensure that we are able to have, you know, trauma counsellors that, that, you know, uh, have their own, self-care and support systems, but, and we of course wrap around a lot of supports for them, but are also able to hold and support people in the way we've discussed and keep people safe. Yep. Well, do you have anything coming up in the future or do you have a few words just to uh, share with the listeners on again, how to reach you or any events coming up? I know you have a newsletter, just a little bit to um, offer listeners that might want to explore your organization or connect. Yeah. Yeah, so bluenot.org.au, that's B-L-U-E-K-N-O-T. Uh, you'll find a lot of information and resources there. Our helpline is 1300 657 380, and it operates 9 to 5, Monday to Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose the final message, that there is hope and the, there is help and that healing is absolutely possible. So please, you know, reach out. Um, and, you know, not just to support from Blue Knot, but, you know, see who's around you as well for support. <laughs>